there was this really um, kind of delightful custom in Palestine and throughout the Roman Empire where um, someone wealthy would invite you know a large group of people over for a meal, big dinner party, courtyard, long low table, um, and as the invited guests were arriving, uh, if someone who was poor, a prostitute, homeless person, a leper, anyone, if someone who was starving could slip into the entrance with the group of invited guests, the host was obligated to feed them. Not to put them at the table with everyone, but it's almost like if you could shadow the invited guests in and get in the door, then there was a sense in which you as the host were now responsible to feed that that person. So you'd give them a meal and then send them on their way. Uh, And the term that they used for this was the umbre, or the shadow people. And the reason why I find that interesting is because when you read the Gospels, you see the number of times Jesus is eating at someone else's home and there's no indication to you whether he's invited or not. I mean, there are a couple of times when it's obvious that he is invited, but say in the case where he goes to to Zacchaeus and invites himself to Zacchaeus's house, there are other occasions where it seems he's slipping in with the invited guests. Even when he does go to the home of a Pharisee, he's not kissed, he's not anointed, his feet aren't cleaned. He's being treated, in a sense, like an ombre, like a shadow person. When you think about that, that idea of Jesus being a shadow man, being the uninvited one, the kind of the lurker at other people's kitchens, the the freeloader, uh, it just makes an entirely different paradigm for reading the Gospels because when Jesus is telling us to feed the poor or to, to clothe the naked or to visit the imprisoned, it's not like he is telling us as a man who does that for other people, look, I've invited people to my table, you should do the same. There's a real sense in which he, as an ombre, as a shadow man, as a poor man, as an uninvited man, he, as a hungry man, is telling us to invite other people. He's speaking on his own behalf and on behalf of all those who are poor. Now, when you see it in those terms, it totally shatters the way we think of ministry and church and really the whole box and dice because it's not Jesus condescending to be concerned about the poor. It's Jesus becoming the poor, becoming the umbre, becoming the marginalised, and as one of them, calling out for ministry, calling out for service to happen in that context. So when you see it that way, it's just an entirely different paradigm to how you see ministry. It's not us providing services to those who can't help themselves. Rather, it's about us becoming those who are marginalised, who are poor, who are lost, to whatever the case may be. So that our highly professionalised mode of ministry, creating products and services, um, the church representing Jesus being entirely middle class, wealthy, powerful, is almost the exact reverse to what you find Jesus doing. Jesus is the shadow man, he's the ombre, he's the uninvited one. And I just can't help but wonder whether by losing that it has affected so much of what we do and what the church has become. Um, It's become a a professionalised institution, not a movement of the umbra. What an amazing thought that Jesus is a shadow man. That Jesus at moments when there were the elite gathering would himself move in with the elite and be there as one of those who's marginalized, one of those who is considered poor. That he could even say to the guests, you did not wash my feet. You didn't take care of me. We are here today gathered as the movement of the ombre. We are the movement of the shadow man. Do you remember when the mass of people who are so hungry for the divine followed Jesus so far and so long that they ended up in a place that was so deserted that there was nothing for them to eat and they were were hungry and some were even faint and Jesus did not call his disciples together and say, let's organize a program to help those people because the disciples and Jesus were those people. They had no food. 
They were just as hungry as those who had no food. And a child who had food shared it, and everyone was fed. And there's this marvelous principle there that is amazing, that as we share what we have with those around us that are poor, that are hungry, that somehow God multiplies that, and it goes way beyond anything we thought it could have done. It is the movement of the hombre. It is the heart of the shadow man. And if it's true that we are followers of Jesus, and how many of you say this, this morning that you identify yourself as a follower of Jesus? Yeah. If you are a follower of Jesus, then we must understand that it is, it is a command that we replicate his heart and duplicate his actions. And so I want you to hear what Jesus says that he will expect from us. And instead of even looking at it corporately, just see yourself with Jesus at the moment described. As Jesus says this, as recorded by Matthew in Matthew 25, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory, the ending time when everything gets changed around and Jesus returns, and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered. All the nations will be gathered in his presence. And he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father. Blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you. From the creation of this world it was for you. Because I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or feed you? Or thirsty or give you something to drink? Or you were a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? The king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to the one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. It's an amazing thing to understand that when I feed the poor, when I, when I assist the marginalized, the disenfranchised, the people out on the margins, when I, in fact, I'll just tell you a story. It happened this week, and just, just bear with me. It, it's, it's pretty candid. But it's just, it, it's this deal. I, I, was, I was working out at, at a fitness center and I went in the locker room and there was a man standing there that was trying to get his bathing suit on to go swimming and, and he was having trouble and he was standing there so ashamed, just so naked and, and his suit was caught back here and he couldn't get it up and, and, and I realized that he was standing there naked that in his shame and, his, and he was, looked like he was in his mid-60s that as he stood there, he must have had a stroke or some debilitating something, but he wasn't, be, wasn't able to get the suit up, and it was rolling in the back behind him, and he couldn't get it up. And as I walked by him, he looked at me, and he said, would you help me? I'm a guy, and there's a guy naked next to me who wants me to help him. And so I reached around, and it was just uncompromised. I mean, it was just a compromising position to be put in, and I'm just helping him trying to get his suit up, and, and it's just not like me to do that stuff, and I'm doing it. And, and finally, I helped him up, and he got satisfied, and, and, and I left, and I felt like Jesus said, that was me. And I said, you need a new suit. But you see, when you do that stuff, when you help the least of these, Jesus said, it's me. And I'll reward you for that. And then the flip side of that is he said to the other people on his left, he said, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. My suit was caught and you didn't help me get it up. I was in prison and you didn't visit me. I was sick and you didn't, you didn't come and, and help heal me. You didn't do any of that. And say, when did we not do that? And he said, when you didn't do it for the least, you didn't do it for me. And he said, get away from me. Because you don't love me. Let me be clear. Following Jesus is more than asking for forgiveness of sins. It is loving Jesus by loving the least of these. It's all part of it. So here's the truth. We don't feed the poor. So they follow Jesus. We feed the poor because we follow Jesus.
We walk with the marginalized because that's Jesus. We walk with the poor because that's Jesus. We give out of what we have for those who are in need because that is Jesus. And it's the way that we love the shadow man. So this morning, sitting in front of you, we have some friends who walk with the marginalized, who walk with the poor, the disenfranchised. And they're here this morning because we're going to walk with them as they show us the opportunities we have to love Jesus in what they do. And so I'm going to introduce them to you and ask them the first question we have for them this morning. And as I ask them the question, I'll have them, I'll introduce them one by one and then have them answer the first question. Seated right here close to me is David Wade, who is a volunteer for the upper room. David, we're glad you're here this morning. Would you welcome him, please? Thank you. Thank you. So from your corner of the block, what do you see as the need in Erie? What is it that just grabs your heart that you see people need help? What, what is it you see from your corner of the block? I think I see a, uh, a need, probably uh, specific, uh, maybe a few more beds out there for people who, who are homeless. Uh, there are a lot of agencies out there that are uh, trying to help them uh, in, in, for places like that to, to give beds, but they need... Uh, they can always use additional support. So a lot of there are agencies out there, but they just need help. Uh, some of the places like the Emmaus Soup Kitchen, uh, Mother Kennedy's, uh, the Erie City Mission that provide uh, meals, they can always use that kind of support. And uh, I would have thought this was crazy to say or kind of hokey a few years ago, but. Just when you see somebody out there on the street and they look at you, uh, look back at them. And if they say something to you, say hello. Hmm. Just a touch. So you're dealing with the homeless? Homeless, uh, people who are uh, not necessarily homeless, but what we would consider uh, less than adequately housed. Hmm. And, And we have people like that in Erie? In Erie, yes. Quite a few. Really? I, I have friends at the upper room who sleep under the railroad tracks somewhere, uh, and then we have people who sleep in uh, vacant buildings and uh, sleep at places like the Community of Caring, the City Mission, places like that, but just don't really have what you or I would consider adequate housing. I'm going, to, I'm going to change the question, guys, up here a little bit. I'm going to ask you the, the, the second question right away. So what is it that the upper room is doing for them? What we do at the upper room is provide a place for them to come during the day. Uh, we're open from uh, 8 to 4 during the week and 12 to 4 on Sundays. And we give them a place to come, uh, sit. We have a TV, big screen TV, and uh, they can read the newspaper, uh, read a magazine, have a cup of coffee. Uh, We provide, uh, dependent on uh, the generosity of the community, which is quite good, uh, used coats if we have them, uh, socks, toiletries uh, when we get them, and that kind of thing. And it's just basically a place to uh, uh, get out of the the weather. During the wintertime, and I think we probably are around 45 nights now, when the uh, warming shelter uh, across the street from us opens all night, we have a core of volunteers who come in or stay until 11 at night so the, the folks don't have to go outside and wait until the warming shelter opens at 11. Thank you. Thank you. Seated next to David is Linda Hackshaw. Linda is with the Site Center of Northwest Pennsylvania. So what are you, what, what are you seeing as the need from your corner of the block? I like to quote some of what I call Erie's dubious distinctions. Um, We are known as one of the blindest communities in the country, believe it or not. It's sort of a little-known dubious distinction about Erie County, Pennsylvania, and it's due to two factors. We have the second oldest population in the country. We're tied with Philadelphia. Cape Coral, Florida is the oldest population. 18% of their population is over the age of 65. 16.9% of our population is over the age of 65. Nationally, 12% of the population 
is over 65. So we are old comparatively to the rest of the country. The number one cause of visual impairment and blindness in the people over the age of 55 is simply age and age-related eye conditions. We have another dubious distinction in that we have almost twice the national average of diabetes right here in Erie County. Uh, nationally, statistics show that 5.9% of our population has diabetes. Erie, Pennsylvania is nearing 11%. We have the highest rate of diabetes in the country. Diabetic retinopathy is the number one cause of visual impairment and blindness in people of all ages nationally. Those two factors alone combine to make Erie County, Pennsylvania a hotbed of visual loss. Um, we serve actually more than just Erie, we're in seven counties. We are Erie, McCain, Crawford, Jefferson, Cameron, Elk, and Warren. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot about Warren. Uh, Warren County, we serve about 7,000 people a year. And what our job is primarily is to um, help people remain independent in their homes with vision loss. And it's people of all ages. We have a blind children's program. Unfortunately, we have an up-and-coming population of blinded children as a result of premature birth. Um, there are more blind children than there were in the past, believe it or not. Even with all of the medical advances that we have today, we have more blind children being born every day than ever in the past. Um, people are losing their vision earlier and earlier, and I can tell you right now, it is not a normal or expected factor of age that after the age of 55, the eyeballs start to go bad. It is a function of diet and lifestyle. Unfortunately, I think a lot of you know all about our diet and lifestyle in the United States today. And we have more people losing their vision at earlier times in their lives. So our job is to help them stay independent in jobs, in life, in their homes, in social and recreational activities. We provide transportation to and from doctor's offices. I like to say that we, unlike New York State, we don't let people drive blind in Pennsylvania. <laughs> 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 my father was from New York and was still driving at 90 with a binocular on his glasses. I said, oh my God, you must scare people to death when you drive by. <laughs> uh, we don't allow that in Pennsylvania. So when someone starts to lose their vision and becomes uh, what we call low vision, which is 2070 or worse, best corrected, um, the, you do have to surrender your driver's license. That can really be the worst blow for someone. You can, you can remain independent in your home I can do my laundry blindfolded. There's a lot I can do in my home as long as I'm in familiar surroundings. But if you have to get to doctor's appointments and dental appointments, and as we get older, we do more and more of that, and you can't any longer, that can be a factor in moving someone into an into a, um, independent living or a senior center that they would really rather not. So it's our job to keep people in their homes. We do a lot. We go into the house. We balance checkbooks, pay bills, read mail. You know, a 75-year-old person losing their vision is not going to go out and learn Braille or buy a computer that speaks to them and reads their mail. Sometimes they like the good old-fashioned human touch, so we go in and read to people and read their mail and help them pay their bills and remain independent. We do grocery shopping, uh, take people grocery shopping if they're too frail to go on a day like today, we'll go and do it for them and deliver it to the house. So that's our niche. Very good. Would you, would you, you tell Linda welcome this morning? Seated next to Linda is Paula Hayes, who's the program director for Big Brothers, Big Sisters of the Family Services of Northwest Pennsylvania. Would you please welcome Paula this morning? Thank you. So, Paula, what do you see as the need from your corner of the block? Well, Big Brothers Big Sisters works with children um, between the ages of 6 and 14 who are living in primarily fatherless homes, single-parent homes. Um, and, and the children come to us from you know, some usually very low-income situations, and they're in need of another adult in their lives who are going to provide them with some guidance, with some structure, uh, just some, some caring. Um, and so we work with volunteers. Um, there's only three staff members in our program. The majority of our kids, the majority of our program is really run by volunteers. We really depend on them. So right now we have about 148 children matched with volunteers with about 86 children on the waiting list. And that number grows every day. 
the children, we may match five or six kids per month in a new match, and seven or eight more kids will come in that month, so the, the waiting list keeps growing. And so our needs are very simple. We need um, individuals who are willing to give of their time. We ask for about two hours per month, um, or I'm sorry, per week, uh, so that averages out to somewhere between six to eight hours per month. And those volunteers work with the children in a one-on-one -on -one relationship. They may help with homework. They may take them to the park. Um, they may hear about the latest um, problem that they've had at school with another child. Um, it's a combination of, you know, reaching out with the heart um, and doing some hands-on activities, doing crafts, playing basketball, um, just listening to what that child has to say um, and being a presence for that child, uh, sometimes in the school and in the community. So, so if I'm hearing you correctly, you have more children wanting a big brother, big sister than you have volunteers right now. Absolutely, yes. And like I said, the, the list keeps growing. So if, if you had 80 or 90 volunteers, that would just get you even, and then you'd still have more coming in? More coming in every day. Yeah. Sometimes I hear from people, wow, I, you know, Big Brothers Big Sisters is a national program started over 100 years ago and has only been in Erie for about 35 years. And if I go out and do a presentation, I hear, I didn't know we had a Big Brothers Big Sisters, which is, really means I'm not doing my job very well. So once the word gets out there um, and the kids hear about it and the, and the moms hear about it, they really want their child to benefit from the Terrific. services of a mentor. Very good. Thank you, Paula. Here. Sitting next to Paula is Tiffany Stevens, who's the training supervisor for the Erie County Office of Children and Youth. Would you please welcome Tiffany this morning? So, Tiffany, uh, share with us what you see as the need, and, and a lot of us are familiar with OCY, but you can give us more details this morning. What do you see as, as the great need, and what is OCY doing about it? Um, what I see is a great need in our, in our community is, is really outreach, um, education, community, and support for these parents. Um, what we have is maladaptive coping mechanisms that have been passed down, and these parents don't really have the tools to break the cycle. And, and what, what we do is we kind of engage the community and the people who are involved with these kids on a daily basis and, and help them understand what these kids are going through at home and um, help these parents learn new ways um, of dealing with stress or disciplining or getting them back on their feet. Um, it's really more of a community outreach what we're trying to do is, is abuse and neglect doesn't just target one population. It goes across the board and it needs to be, there needs to be an, an awareness and a support for those and strength in our people to speak up when they see things happening. From, from what, what I have read in the papers over the last years, it would seem that OCY has a more need than they have ability to really cover. Is yes. that correct? Yes. Uh, is, is that a matter of something of needing volunteers, or uh, what do you see as part of the solution to that problem? Part of, part of the solution, um, more to, an intake, which, which is the first 60-day period, um, we service about 4,000 kids a year. That means 2,000 families generally a year, and that's just an intake. And ongoing, we have roughly 2,000 kids in Erie County that we're dealing with, and about 1,000 families ongoing-wise that we're supporting in Erie County. Um, this is not just abuse, it's also neglect. I mean, we have basic needs that aren't met um, due, to, due to the economy. We can't get food in the home or beds in the home or clothes in the home. Um, I don't know if I answered your question completely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're doing good. Thank you. Thank you very much. Seated next to Tiffany, you recognize that you're part of this church family, Jerry and Annie Cofardi, who are representing a ministry that is in our city, but not necessarily here in Erie, although we, uh, it, it actually, in the long run, is it affecting the city because something like it's now being established here. But these folks are part of a team that go down and help in inner city Washington, D.C. with what we call the Little White House Project. And so... Um, would you welcome Jerry and Andy Cafardi? And they're going to share with you a little bit about what Little White House Project is about and, and, and what the need is down in inner city D.C.
Most of you have probably heard over the years, uh, the Southeast White House is a mentoring program in Washington, D.C., uh, on the other side of the Anacostia River. If you know anything about D.C. geography, uh, it's the wrong side of the tracks. Uh, there is an incredible team of people who are there right now, who are there 365 days a year. We put together a team once each year to go down and support them. Our support is generally practical. Those of you who are homeowners know that there's all kinds of stuff that just doesn't get done on a day-to-day -day basis. And especially with these folks, their primary passion is, is working with kids, mentoring kids. And so as an Erie First family, um, we commit a week. Many of you have, have joined us and had that experience where we do the practical things that they're unable to do uh, during, during the year of service that uh, they're pouring themselves into these children. And what specifically are some of the, uh, the programs, the mentoring, uh, at what, what ages are they mentoring and, and how long do they mentor them? Give us some, some information on that. I think the really incredible thing about the program there is that they take children in the first grade and they work with teachers and school administrators and identify children who are most at risk. Probably in those neighborhoods, just about everybody is at risk. They target the ones who are most at risk. And the thing that has always impressed me is they commit, the mentors commit to stay with this child from first through 12th grade, which I think is, I mean, we think about that. You know, we have a hard time sometimes committing to do something for the next two weeks, mm -hmm. much less for the next 12 years of a child's life. Uh, I believe it's two years ago they celebrated their first graduation with a young woman who um, graduated and was able to go on to uh, the university. That's, that's their passion, that's their goal, is, is to take a child who would not be supported with homework, with even getting to school, with the day-in, day-out things that, you know, those of you who are parents know are involved in the educational process and, and really work to see these kids succeed. Another part of it that we've been part of as a church family is um, they, they travel. They take them out of that environment and show them there is a world outside of your neighborhood. Uh, they bring them here. They take them to Niagara Falls. They uh, take them to Lee Dennett's backyard where they have a picnic and do all kinds of things that these kids would not have the opportunity to do. And again, it's the mentors who commit themselves um, to, um, to doing that, to to showing them that you know, if they work, if, if they're faithful in the going to school and the doing their homework, that they can't escape the cycle that, that they're part of. I'll add to that, uh, one of the first mentors, in fact, I think she was the first mentor. Uh, she had her master's degree from a university in Texas, and she was the first mentor to come get support and, and work with these children, and she was mentoring them. And a few years ago, Hillary got married, and what amazing about it was that the children that she was mentoring were her bridesmaids. It could, because it's not just teaching. It is a relational connection that makes a difference. So thank you. Thanks. And I'm sure we'll hear from Jerry in just a moment. <laughs> Seated at the, at the very uh, end of the row here is Leanne Kramer, who's an education specialist for the Ophelia Project. And so, uh, Leanne, would you tell us again what you see from your corner of the block and what you're all are doing about it? Hi. Um, the Ophelia Project is an organization that exists to provide research, education, and advocacy for relational aggression and nonviolent forms of aggression. Um, and we work to establish safe social climates. What we know from the research is that over 160,000 children miss school every day because of the fear of bullying, uh, the fear of torment from their classmates. We know that one in five children are afraid to ask to go to the bathroom during the school day because they're afraid that they'll be targeted um, on that way to the bathroom while they're in the bathroom or on their way back to school. We know that the cafeteria is the place in the school where the most anxiety happens, um, not when they're sitting in, in a desk ready to take a test, but when they're trying to find a spot to sit in the cafeteria. Um, and we also know that this type of anxiety, this relational aggression, this fear of bullying uh, does not only happen in children, but one in four adults feel bullied in the workplace um, as adults. 
So the Ophelia Project, we see that need and we try to provide some education, some tips. Uh, we do a lot of workshops and speaking engagements to provide people with proactive tools to uh, prevent these types of aggression. Great. Are, are you seeing that making a difference? Are, are you seeing some good success stories? Oh, I love hearing success stories. Um, we, we have a number of programs in the Erie community. Um, we have programs called Girl Talk for girls, um, for uh, pre-adolescent girls. We have a program called STAR. It's, okay, I can remember, self-esteem, teamwork, accountability, and, um, oh, goodness, I always forget the R. I believe it's responsibility um, for students in first through third grade. We have a Boy Talk program for pre-adolescent boys. We have an after-school mentoring program called Relationships Are Pathways to Success, where we match up college students with middle school students after school. Um, we have some whole school initiatives called CAS, Creating a Safe School, where we work in um, three schools in Erie County right now, uh, working with the teachers, the parents, and the students. And we find um, so much success when we address everyone in the community um, with really a systemic model. Um, there's a couple organizations that we partner with in the community. Uh, Mothers Against Teen Violence, we do a lot of work with them. We do some work with Erie Dawn as well. Um, and, and also the uh, new Safe Line, um, sponsored by Safe Harbor, that is an anti-bullying hotline to call to get some advice. We're partnering with that as well. And um, I, I love hearing stories of people that say like, oh, I saw aggression and I stood up for someone and then we made it right. Um, and I, I always get so excited when I hear people say, and then we made it right, uh, because that's what we're really looking for in the end, is for people to, to acknowledge first that something wrong happened, but then to do something to mend that relationship and to move forward uh, so that we can all get along. That's great. How many of you have ever been bullied at school or even in the workplace? Yeah. How many of you were bullies? No, don't answer that. We, just, we won't go there. I'm going to ask you another question, and actually I'm going to change what I originally told you because I'd like to hear this too. What is the greatest challenge that you face right now in, in what you're doing? And, 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 and with that, perhaps, what is it that just breaks your heart the most when you, when you see what you see around you? What is it that absolutely breaks your heart? Let's start back down this direction again, David. Um, probably the biggest uh, challenges just the everyday practical thing. We have people who need uh, things like clothing and, and uh, toiletries and uh, that kind of thing. And sometimes we have it and sometimes we don't. And uh, sometimes we just have to say, you know, I don't have a coat that's big enough that'll fit you. Uh, I don't have any socks. Or I don't. So that. That, that's, a, that's, a tough, that's a tough thing. We don't think that much about it. I don't, because I have it. But uh, that, and just sometimes just the hopelessness that I see. And uh, it's just, uh, sometimes it's, it's, it's tough. But uh, the, the big thing is to keep faith and to, uh, to, to go back and to uh, answer God's call and uh, just come alongside the folks and uh, just to see somehow sometimes the way these people are treated some of them are real tough customers some of them I don't like some of them I don't want to be alone with but for the most part there are just a lot of people out there who are just good people and uh, they may have made bad choices or something and they're where they're at and uh, just be in there and it's just tough sometimes to close the doors at four o'clock or to go home on a Sunday and wonder uh, what happens uh, to one of the guys that you see in the next day in the newspaper thank you I, and as you say that it just occurs to me when you say that we may not have a coat I'm just cataloging in my mind how many coats I got hanging in my closet and it makes me wonder what Jesus would do Linda, what's your greatest challenge and what's, what is it that breaks your heart? It's a darn good question. I think my, my biggest challenge for this year is to get people to come through our doors. I think people have an, um, the idea, they're losing their vision, but they say, oh, I'm not blind. I, I don't need that kind of help. I don't, I don't need to be there. Or they are afraid to be there. 
They don't want another eye exam, nobody else poking and prodding at their eyeballs. Um, and what they don't understand is that we can help and that there is so much help available. Our biggest challenge when someone finally does make it to our agency is to overcome their sense of hopelessness. I understand that. Somebody thinks that they're going to be blind or that they are blind. Their depression tends to be our biggest obstacle towards their care. So getting someone to understand that help is just a phone call away is a, is a real challenge and that sooner in the visual loss process is better. Um, what breaks my heart? We had a 24-year-old woman in our door the other day who has been blind since she was 11. She was in a car accident and had frontal lobe damage. And um, she's been lost in the system for 13 years. Had no idea that we were there. I said, my God, I'm not doing my job. How did you not know we were here? And we set her up with, you know, eight different things. And, and it's like taking the blinders off her. It, it really was in a way. She had no idea that there was so much help hmm. available to her. So that really broke my heart. So, you know, where were you? Where were we? Thank you. Paula? Well, we have a few different obstacles. Um, what breaks my heart is when a child reaches the age of 14 and we have not yet matched that child. Um, they come to us at the age of six and they stay on the waiting list. You know, they can come in at any point between age six and 14. If I haven't matched the child by the 14th birthday, then I have to take the child off the waiting list. Um, if a child is matched, I matched a young girl on her 14th birthday about a year ago. She's still matched and she can stay in the program until she's 18. So, you know, there are times when a child might be in a remote area because we, we service all of Erie County and, and I might not have a volunteer out that way. Um, and so that child kind of falls through the cracks and I don't match that child. Um, other obstacles are, you know, when you have a child with some difficulties in their behavior or their emotional, um, may have some emotional problems, um, it's, it's very difficult for volunteers to work with that child. Um, and you really have to, it, it takes a very special person. Um, but if you're just there to show them support and to show them um, that you're going to stick with them, you know, we can have other services picking up where the, the volunteer may not feel adequate to take care of that problem. Um, so that can be frustrating for, for us as staff to keep all of the volunteers pumped up about being a big brother or being a big sister. Um, and of course, financially, money is always a problem. We are, um, we are supported by the United Way, where we get about half of our funds. The other half of our funds comes through a program out there, a big event called Bowl for Kids Sake, which you'll be hearing about because it's coming up in April. We do a big bowl-a-thon and uh, we raise money uh, to support the program and to support some of the activities that we do for the child. Um, we do, we are sometimes able to, to provide things like shoes or um, clothing from donations in the community. Highmark has been one of our biggest supporters. Last year they gave us money in the form of a grant to be able to buy winter clothing for the children who need it. So I will put that message out to a volunteer. If the volunteer feels their child can um, you know, take advantage of that, then we provide the uh, gift card and they go shopping together. So we are in one, uh, Payless provided us cards two years in a row. So we do some things like that as well. But one of the other um, fun things about the program is there are um, businesses in the community who offer their services at uh, a lower price. For instance, Nick Scott will give us a good price on Splash Lagoon so that the volunteers can take the child. We have a big party there. And for most of the kids, that is the, the only opportunity that they'll ever get to go to the family first. So we also provide things like that for the children and then the budget you know, provides the rest of the, the money for that so the volunteers don't have to put out their own cash. Thank you. Tiffany. To, to narrow it down as to what breaks your heart with child abuse and neglect is kind of hard. Um, some of our biggest obstacles, though, are, are really is, is, is changing our face in the community. Um, we've, we've kind of tagged on a, 
a few negative um, things that follow us around and kind of haunt us. And we're really trying to bridge those gaps and tell people what we're able to do, what we're not able to do, and create a, an understanding of how our agency can make a difference with the kids and the families. Um, some things that break my heart is, is, is when you go in and you see these, the kids um, who despite what they've gone through don't want to leave or they don't, they don't understand what's going on because I mean, they're, they're, they're the innocent victims in, in, in all of this. And trying to explain to a five-year-old that they have to go stay somewhere that they've never been is, is a gut-wrenching experience. And, um, Trying to rebuild these these bridges that have been broken and the families that have been broken is that's 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 a heartache. It really is. Thank you, Jerry. Over the uh, a dozen years or so, this church has been able to send a team down to D.C. and this little White House ministry and serve there. And uh, I don't think we can presume that uh, that'll happen year after year. So what if, one thing we're concerned about is making sure that the word gets out that even this year. Uh, third week of uh, July there, the 21st through the 28th, why there's going to be another team assembled and sent to the Little White House to serve, uh, to support that mission as they continue their mentoring. We, we eliminate an awful lot of headaches by allowing, uh, by providing them with the services to keep the house and the facilities in good working order. The teams uh, consist of, of number any age almost almost uh, the teenagers we'd really welcome teenagers to come along on that mission trip too so that they're able to catch the spirit of service so that they they not only provide uh, practical help when we're there but also uh, catch fire for the future the very thing that we're talking about here is a as a rule we want to know that uh, we're so uh, blessed as a people, no matter where you think you are economically, when you get in certain environments and situations, you see that, wow, uh, I am so fortunate, I, and, and I want that to overflow. I want to share that, my fortune, in the best way I can. There are a whole range of, of tasks that people can do when we're there. Uh, the whole spectrum of, of opportunities are around, so don't think for a minute that you're not qualified or you're not capable, you don't have a specific talent to do either our particular ministry here, the Little White House, or any of the others that are up here. Uh, you can. What you want to develop and, and see in yourself is that servant's heart so that you can say, yeah, I'd like to be a part of this project. Uh, so uh, I think rather than ending on a negative with what breaks my heart is just to be an encouraging to you to see what it is that you're capable, and you are capable as people, of, of the Lord to, uh, to serve in one of the capacities that someone up here is sharing about. So uh, don't forget, in terms of Little White House, look for uh, talk in the next couple of months as the church promotes uh, sending a team. Be considering the opportunity to go uh, with your, your uh, son or your daughter uh, or your spouse and uh, plug into what's available to you. Thank you. Thanks, Jerry. Leanne. Um, I, I would probably say our, our biggest um, obstacles that we overcome is, is something that everyone struggles with, our, our time and money. Um, as a nonprofit organization, we like to do a lot of awareness, a lot of advocacy, so we print a lot of flyers, we put a lot of stuff up on the website, we do a lot of free webinars um, just to get the word out there to raise awareness um, and, and really try to, to break a lot of the myths that people have about, about bullying and aggression. Uh, because when you tell someone, oh, well, rolling your eyes at someone is aggression. Uh, when you say not letting someone sit at, at your uh, table, whether it's in the workplace or in the school cafeteria, that is aggression. Breaking those myths uh, takes a lot of time, effort, and, and energy. Um, and another thing that, you know, we are a, a small organization right now. We only have four, four employees, and three of us are part-time. <laughs> so uh, we rely a lot on our volunteers. And uh, we'll have people call and say, I want to volunteer, but I don't really want to talk to a 13-year-old girl about her problems with her friends, and I get that. That's not for everyone, but we do have a lot of other stuff, whether it's just uh, sitting at a table handing out literature at a community event. Uh, we always love party planners to help us plan events and fundraisers, so if you really like making phone calls and par planning parties, we have volunteer options for that as well. Uh, people to come in and just package our curriculum to go out in the mail. Uh, we're always looking for someone to mail. Uh, 
our office, we can't afford a cleaning staff, so if somebody really likes to vacuum, you can come in once a week and vacuum our office. Really, our, our volunteer opportunities, I have a nice list on the table out there, um, can really fit whatever people are comfortable with. Um, and, and we also always need donations for craft supplies for our different um, workshops, after-school programs, that kind of stuff that we do. So that's always um, some of our challenges are just getting the, the supplies and the manpower to continue our mission and to really reach out to make a difference in, in the community and, and also uh, try to keep up our national presence. Um, and, and what breaks my heart is uh, when, when I'm in the office, which is Israeli, I work mostly from home, uh, but I answer the phone and it's someone saying to me, um, I don't know what to do. Um, and, and a lot of times we get parents that call and they say, you know, my, my daughter used to be happy, my daughter used to have friends and now she's alone and she cries and I, I don't know how to help her. Um, or uh, I'm kind of choking up, I'm sorry. Uh, we had a parent call and say that her son had taken his life because of bullying, uh, because of the torment of his classmates and she wanted to know how she could get involved um, to make sure that no other parent had to feel her pain. Um, and it to hear the stories of the people we serve. Um, it, it reaffirms my passion, it gives me drive, um, but at the same time, it, it just breaks my heart and, and makes me wish I could do more. Thank you. Well, I think in, in that, what we've just asked you, I think you've pretty well answered the question, most of you have answered the question of what we can do to serve you, because we are here to serve you. And generally when I've asked that question before, I get responses, uh, oh, you can pray for us, and yes, we are going to pray for you. We're going to do that in just a moment, as a matter of fact. But just let you know that in a few moments, after we pray for them, we're going to dismiss them out, and they're going to go back into the lobby. And they're going to be at tables. And I'm going to ask you to go by those tables. And not all of you can get in there at the same time, so don't, don't say, well, I'll check with them later. Talk with these folks before you leave today, because you know you won't. And we know how we are. We intend on doing things, and we never get there. Stop by, see them, talk to them, and say, how can I help you? But let's reinforce what they're doing. And simply because it's Jesus. Again, we, we don't help with these issues so that people follow Jesus. We help with these issues because we follow Jesus. And we do this to the least of these who desperately need it. So I'm going to ask our elders and our, and our staff members, council members, and, and their spouses to come up and just stand behind these folks, and we're going to pray for them, and then we're going to send them out in just a moment, and then we're going to spend some time talking with them. So uh, would you come immediately and, and, and stand behind these folks? And we're going to ask them to just place their hand on your shoulder as a point of, of contact, and we are going to pray over you now. And these folks, I'm going to ask you, because we can't get everybody up here, if you just stretch your hand out as if you were touching them as a point of contact, and just join me in this prayer for these wonderful people. They're, they're our heroes. They're doing a lot of work in this city. So, Father, we bring to you today uh, David and, and the Upper Room and Linda and the Sight Center and, and, and Paula for big brothers and big sisters and Tiffany with OCY and Jerry and Annie and all those work with, with the Little White House and for Leanne, who's dealing with this Ophelia project. We thank you for them. We thank you for them being an extension of your love to this community. So we ask that their, their outreach and, and what they do will have effective, effectiveness in the days to come. The resources they need, the volunteers, the dollars they need, the understanding they need, the advertising they need, all that they need, you will supply that. And through them, your love will affect those, those homeless and those children and those who are being bullied and those who need mentoring and, and those who are dealing with sight issues. Lord, you'll take care of all of that. And so we ask now that your protection will be upon them and those who work with them and those who volunteer with, with them and that the volunteer base will even grow and that we will see an, an incredible effective change, even more so than we've seen already, in this region and in Washington, D.C. And Lord, Wherever you want us, we as, as your community, we sacrifice and, and we volunteer. And we serve. We give you thanks for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you tell them again, thank you for being here. going to invite you to just go ahead and stand and head out this direction, and we're going to get you uh, taken care of back in the lobby. There you go. Thank you. And you all can go on down, unless you want to sit in the chair.
You may be sitting here today saying, I've never just been in a service like this before. I usually come in and somebody preaches. Well, you just heard the preaching. This is the application of the preaching. We are educated beyond our obedience. And so this morning, this is the way that we apply it. And so here's what we're going to do. We here are the movement of the ombre, and Jesus is the shadow man that we love. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you to do a couple of things. First of all, we're going to take an offering and this morning, and I want you to, in addition to your tithes and offering you brought, in addition to that, I just want you to, to write down, if you will, uh, on an envelope to the least of these. And we want to help contribute to what these folks are doing and Little White House is doing. And so that offering is going to go towards those outreaches. Secondly, for the last couple of weeks, you've been receiving in your service folder what's called the Faith Promise Card. Because not only do we want to help today, but we want this to be sustainable. And the way that we sustain the over 100 agencies and missionaries that are here and around the world is because you give on a monthly basis and we need to know what you're going to do so we know how we're going to sustain those people. So I want you to join Pam and me and we put down an amount by God's help we're going to give each month to help sustain people in ministry such as you've seen today. And so would you take that and fill that out? And if you're already giving, don't just take for granted we're going to know you're going to keep on giving, sustaining throughout the month. Fill out a new card so that we know that, so that we can count on that. Thirdly, after we've taken the offering, I'll come back and bless us and dismiss us, but I want you to go out in that lobby, and if you can't get to any of those people, just chill, would you? And just relax and then talk to some folks around here and enjoy it, but make sure you see them before you leave. And two things, volunteer and then keep your commitment. Don't volunteer, and then when they call you to come, don't, don't go there and uh, don't sh- not show up. You need to be there to support them because that's what Jesus would want us to do. So again, if you're, gonna, if you're filling out an envelope today, just put on it to the least of these, and then I'm going to encourage you uh, to place that in the offering. If you're writing out a check, just make it to Erie First Assembly, and everything designated will go to these ministries. Ushers, would you please come? Jesus, thank you for showing us that you walk with those who are marginalized and hungry. And today we're feeding you. Today we're walking with you. Today we're going to clothe you. Today we're going to keep some people warm because we're keeping you warm. We're doing this for you because we can't wait for the moment when you collect us all together and say, when you did it to the least of these, you did it for me. So we give you this today and ask that you would, as you did with that boy with with the, the loaves and fishes, you multiplied it. Take this offering and multiply it so so many people will be profoundly impacted by your love. So we give you thanks that we have the ability to give and thank you for the, the opportunity to give. So now bless it and bless our friends that we met this morning. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.